0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit FirstPresEvanston.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3 verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, found in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 190. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom. And in your will, discover your peace. To Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join me in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many lives live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you, even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, My joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, again, welcome, everyone. If this is your first time, whether you're online or you are here with us in person, we're really grateful that you're here. And just so you know, we are in the second Sunday of Lent, and we've been uh, looking at a series and you see the the information there on the screen where we're talking about walking the path and each Sunday we will read a, a, a lesson from the lectionary reading that will sort of emphasize the complexity of what it means to try to live the Christian life in this world but we will also overemphasize the hope that is in Christ to navigate these difficult times in which we're living And today's theme, of course, you heard it in the reading, is one that is worthy of our consideration. But before I begin, I want to ask two things of you, and I I want to piggyback on what Carol said. That is, that we want to continue as part of our values as a church to be a generous and responsive congregation, both locally and even when things are happening to our partners in other parts of the world, namely Ukraine. Ukraine. But I'm going to ask you to do one other thing as you give. I'm going to ask you then also, and Carol mentioned it, which is to pray. And I thought about this Wednesday, this Wednesday being a time as we're going through Lent to continue to experiment with fasting. And I am not an ascetic, but there is something about fasting, particularly when it is integrated with lament, when it's integrated with repentance. And so I want to ask you, to join the millions of Christians, billions of Christians around the world who are praying for the Ukraine, but particularly for our community, maybe this Wednesday, even if you could give an hour where you skip a meal and take that time where you would have prepared the meal to pray, to pray for the church in Russia and the church in Ukraine and the people all across Europe and around the world who have been rattled by these latest events. And it's not the only thing we do, but it's really one of the starting places we want to pray. So join us. Join us this Wednesday as we fast and we pray for these troubled times. And then the second second thing I want to encourage you to do is to visit our website. I don't want you to be just coming on Sunday. I want, through the rest of the week, that you feel you have the tools to engage more deeply in this theme that we've been engaging in, walking the path. And when you go to the website, you're gonna find all this wonderful resource. There is a, a, a devotional that comes to us from Biolo University Center for Christianity, Culture, and the Arts. And amazingly, last week, one of our own members his poetry was featured in the devotional last week, and it's a poem written by Richard Jones called uh, Miracles. And you can go back and you can see that. You just don't know what you'll find, but there's, there will always be something good uh, through this uh, Lenten series that you'll find. And you can also then take the scriptures that we're reading. They're all listed there for each Sunday and begin to read them for yourself and study them and talk about them and pray about them. And you say, well, Pastor, why? Why are we doing this? Well, it's because our aim is to live more fully into the mission of our church, which is the development of disciples, disciple-making. I want to say something to you that might be very controversial, and it's okay. I want to say to you this morning that I think the greatest need for the church is not more members— You look at the pews and you say, well, people are online, and you say, well, what's going on? And it's not just our church. You go all across the country and you'll find congregations that have sort of what we're dealing with a virtual and an in person. And people say, we just need to get more members. Well, the greatest need for our church is not more members. The greatest need for our church is discipleship, making disciples. We need more disciples, not more members. Because you see, when Jesus started his mission, he called only 12 people to follow him. And I don't think Jesus' aim was to see just how many people he could get or get a large crowd. In fact, he said so many weird things that he offended people and they walked away. They said, I can't bother with this guy. And he even said to the 12 that, that he had called, so are you guys going to leave me too? And they said, no, Lord, we're, we're not going to leave you. You have the words of eternal life. Jesus wasn't interested in membership, but he was interested in followership. And I think about when the first century Christians started to reach their cities. And their aim at that time wasn't to seek a bigger membership. Their aim was to develop people who were devoted, and they spelled it out in their uh, narrative They wanted people who were devoted to prayer. You know, we heard about prayer already this morning. The children, we heard it from Carol, you're hearing it from me. They wanted people who were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And that could mean a lot of things. It could mean the Lord's Supper, but it also meant that they were eating together. And they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to prayer. And they also sought to meet the needs of people within their community and around them. And with that strategy, you know, they started out with 120 people and they grew thousands. We have this global movement that started with 12 people being encouraged in their devotion to follow Jesus. And we're this worldwide movement now. So that's why we're doing this series during Lent. It's to encourage us to find that place of deeper devotion to Christ. And that's why we're here this morning. Last Sunday, I said to all of us that being a a Christ follower is not easy. It's not. And I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's never easy when we're told to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. I mean, who wants to do that in America today? It's never easy when we're being told to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. It's never easy when we're being told to surrender our will to what God's will might be. And God's will on some days in our lives is so, so unpopular. And yet, I would say to you this morning that this is what it means to know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life and to use John the Baptist's famous line to get to that place where you gladly say, he must increase and I want to decrease. That's what we're all about here. And so if last Sunday's word was temptation, Today's word that I want you to keep in mind is the word imitation. And I remember as a young boy, as a youngster growing up in Jamaica, my parents were just always after all of us. They had five of us. And they were constantly preaching the same message to their boys and to their girls. And some of you heard the same, same thing. My parents were concerned because they didn't want me, they didn't want us to imitate what some of our friends were doing. And in all honesty, I didn't always listen. And I can still hear their voice in my head. If you sit with dogs, you're going to rise with, you ever heard that one? With fleas. Sometimes when I think about that now, I say, why did they tell me that? That sounds so unkind, calling my friends dogs. <laughs> and then I can hear them saying things like, show me your company, and I'll tell you what? I'll tell you who you are. Is that a, that must be a Jamaican thing. You don't know that one either then, huh? <laughs> and they'll say things like, Show me your friends, and I'll tell you your future. And then they went Bible on us. You know, my, my mom knew the Bible, and then she'd go Bible on us, and she'd say, bad company corrupts good character. You know, in some ways, in many ways, they were right. In fact, sometimes when I look back on the journey that I've been on as, as a young boy to this stage in my life, you know, y- y- your life sometimes turns on on just the smidgen of a decision. And so sometimes I say, I don't know if I would be here today without sort of my courageous parents pouring into us in the way they did. They just wanted to point us to a better way. And when I read today's reading, I couldn't help but think about that, because these five verses that we heard in many ways are pointing believers in the Roman colony of Philippi to a better way. And just like your parents and my parents are concerned, we're concerned about what their children are becoming, Paul is just as concerned that these Christians imitate the right, and I'll use the word, imitate the right influencers. That's a word we hear today. Now, why is this so important? Well, I think it's critical because I think what my parents were saying back then and maybe what your parents told you and maybe what you're telling your children is that we're really concerned about the moral development the development of virtue within our children and so yes we bring them to bible school we bring them to various teaching activities for our children here at the church even at home many of you god bless you and my parents did the same thing they wanted me to memorize places in the bible psalm 23 and memorize and read the sermon on the Mount and know the lord's prayer and just Ten Commandments, and they just wanted to fill my head with information, hoping that somehow it would be translated into my, my life. And what I've learned over the years is that as much as that is important, that is a form of learning that sometimes only stays at the intellectual level. And what we want our, well, our children What we want for all of us who are seeking to follow Jesus is that the formation is what I call dispositional formation, where what we know gets translated in how we think and how we behave. It's more like inscribing something into the very fiber of our being, and one of the ways we learn, one of the ways that we learn, one of the ways we learn at the dispositional level is through imitation. We learn to imitate our heroes. And I can remember if you go to my room when I was a teenage boy, you would see posters of and uh, posters of, 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 of Dr. J and posters of the, the 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 Jackson Five and you know I'm dating myself here. And posters of my heroes in sports and in music and and you you, you want to imitate the people that you admire your parents, your teachers, your role models. But the problem is today, this word imitation is not a popular word anymore because we live in a culture where we often hear people say that imitation is almost a form of settling. You don't want to imitate anyone. You want to project your authentic self. Our culture prizes novelty, uniqueness. And so to imitate someone is sort of a sellout. You're being a fake we're told, you've got to do you. Be you. Live your truth. And then we end up with a very compelling quote like this from Natasha Crane, who wrote recently the book Faithfully Different. And this is her sense. She says, we're in a culture where feelings are the ultimate guide. Where happiness is the ultimate goal, and judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. So people don't like the word imitation, but here we are reading the Bible this morning, and the Scripture holds up to the church a different light around the word imitation. Brothers and sisters, here's what it says. Join, Paul says, in imitating me now, I don't, I don't have the chutzpah to say that. I let Paul say that. Let those big wigs say that. But join in imitating me. Observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Imitate. I know you don't believe this, but there was a time when I used to go to the barber. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Don't laugh. Um, I actually did. I have some pictures where you could actually see that. And then when I got married, I stopped going to the barber because my precious wife actually had these amazing skills and knew how to cut my hair and we saved a lot of money. I didn't have to do that anymore. And then we had two kids and unbeknownst to us, they were watching us. And one day we're in the kitchen, and my young my at that time was our youngest, was Ray Jr. comes running into the kitchen and like half of over here is gone and Judine comes in running in behind him and we say what is going on and we found out that Judine was watching mom cut my hair so she decided to take Ray by the side and try to do a number on him I mean I think that day we didn't have it in us to punish them I think we gave them ice cream <laughs> And to this day, that is one of the biggest jokes in our family, what Judine did to her brother's head. But what was going on there? She was watching and she was mimicking and practicing what she saw her mom do. Some of you watched your dad shave and you tried it, thinking, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. Some of you watched your mom putting on lipstick And when she wasn't watching, you grabbed it, and you tried it out too. That's how the Christian life gets passed on. That's how we put on the values. That's why we need to gather as the family of God in small groups, one-on-one. Talking together, spending time together, reading scripture together, doing life together, struggling together, falling together. It is in those moments that we learn how to put on the virtues of Christ and modeling the way of Christ. But according to Paul, there are some people that you don't want to imitate. We can call them negative influencers. And Paul talks about them. And here's what he said. He said, for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them. And he says, no, I'm telling you with tears. You can picture Paul weeping as he writes to this group of believers in Philippi, telling them that there are some bad actors among you. They're enemies of the cross, and I hate to say this because I know them. I know their families. I know their kids. I know where they're from. We've eaten together, but they've gone off in a different direction, and I'm crying as I write this to tell you, you have some enemies among you. They're enemies of the cross, and I call them Jesus plus people. Think about it, because at the heart of the gospel, is the message that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That Jesus, as Peter says, bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be free from sins, so that we might live for righteousness. And then he says "As by his wounds we're healed. Think about that. If we discard the cross, what do we have left? If one is an enemy of the cross, that is a huge denial of the only way that you and I can be saved through Christ. And what their message was don't listen to Paul. What Jesus did on the cross is great, but you got to do more. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to follow that. You got to have this religious thing going for you. You've got to add something, it's not enough. And Paul says, no, those people are enemies of the cross. didn't call them my enemies. He doesn't hate them, but he says they're enemies of the cross. And here's why. Look, look, look at why he says they are their enemies. He says four things about them. He says their end is destruction. These folks are on a path that leads to disaster. Don't don't follow them. I think that's what my parents were trying to drill into my head. It sounds rather judgmental, but you know, parents know a lot more sometimes than we know. And they were saying, no, don't, don't, don't. You're going to get in trouble. Paul also says, don't imitate them because their God is the belly. And this is not some kind of gastronomical statement that they love to eat out at fast foods or they, they they just never leave the table. That's not what he's talking about. That idea of, of the God is the belly is really a way of speaking about unrestrained bodily desires. It's just like a bottomless pit for what they want to do when they want to do it. Don't follow them because their glory is is their shame in other words they pride themselves on things that they should be ashamed of but they think it's cool they think it's my life i'm just going to do it and so what if you're if you're offended They, they they glory in their shame and then he says don't follow them because their minds are set on earthly things and that's a way of saying they're materialists they pursue only what this life has to offer and this should not surprise us, because I think when we miss the majesty of the cross, we're going to fall into every single kind of error. We're going, to, we're going to upend the understanding of who we are as human beings, that we need a Savior, that we're broken, that we need to confess, that we need to repent, that we need Christ. And if you don't need forgiveness, and if there's no need for a cross, and if you can save yourself— you're going to fall into every imaginable error. And last Sunday, I, I, I tried to make the point to you last Sunday that all of life is formation. You know, we only get an hour or so with your kids on a Sunday. Maybe an, if they come to youth group or some other activity here at the church, maybe another hour or two. But you know who has the bulk of your time, the bulk of your kids' time? It's all of the incoming message from media and elsewhere. But those things are teaching us. Those avenues are forming us. And I said last Sunday that what is influencing us can be both positive and negative. And that's why we need to be careful what we give our minds to. We must be careful what we're giving our time to because we don't come away unformed. We're always being formed by the things we give ourselves to. And Paul then shifts gears and he says, but there's a better way. There is a better way, and he says this, but, but, our citizenship. In contrast to the bad influencers and the bad actors whose only focus is on what's on this earth, on the material way of life, Paul says, we're part of a movement, a a, a, polituma, a political group, a kingdom group. Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought about that as I read it, because I think what Paul is saying is, look, if you and I went to downtown Philippi today, go to the nearest coffee shop and sat down and say to a fellow citizen or a a, a dweller in that city, and said, where's your citizenship? Where are you from? What's your citizenship? You know what they would tell you? They would say, my citizenship is in Rome, but I happen to live here in this Roman colony of philippi they would proudly say to you we are roman citizens even though they don't live in rome i think as followers of jesus that's what paul is saying we have a citizenship we live in america but our real citizenship is with the kingdom of god now he uses the word heaven doesn't necessarily mean that it's up in the sky but it does mean we're part of something bigger than what we can see on planet earth And it's when we understand that, that it begins to shape the people that we want to follow. The experiences to which we expose ourselves, because we know that we're citizens of a different land. Do you remember last Sunday, if you were here, as we were closing the service, we repeated this line from the Apostles' Creed? One of the things Christians believe is that Jesus is coming again. And I know when you think about what's going on in the Ukraine, when you think about what's going on in all over uh, Central Africa and what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on on the streets of Chicago, you said, well, boy, we've been hearing about this Jesus coming, and it doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen because the world is getting so horrible. Paul says... We're citizens of heaven, and we're waiting for this Savior who's going to come. And in the Apostles' Creed, we read this line that he ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then that line, from there he shall come. And he's coming again, friends. And he's judging the living and the dead what happens when our savior comes we heard it in the reading let's just look at it again when jesus comes he will transform our the body of our humiliation i've got one of those bodies by the way and you've got one of those bodies by the way what what paul is saying is because we're human beings we're still going to struggle we're going to stumble we're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to struggle. We're, we're going to get tempted. We're going to get sick. We're going to suffer loneliness. We're going to suffer anxieties. We're going to experience conflicts. And some of those conflicts are so ruptured that it feels like they'll never be mended. And some of us are going to suffer hurts and pains and rejections and, and losses. Paul says God is going to come, Jesus is coming again, and he's going to transform the body of her humiliation so that it may be conformed to his glorious body, his resurrected body, by the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That power is going to bring into subjection everything to himself. Now, I believe that, and I hope you do. And you know, we do have glimpses of that, Transformation happening. We see it every day. We're seeing Eden 2.0. Every day we see a little bit of Eden, we see glimpses of that transformation. When you think about the generosity of a church like first prayers when you think about the compassion of a church like first prayers and the difference that this congregation is making in the lives of people on a day-to-day basis you're seeing through a little porthole what it's going to be magnified when jesus returns because jesus is here his kingdom is here he's given us all that we need to bring heaven to earth and it's happening already now it is a struggle because evil wants to overcome the good. Darkness wants to overcome the light, but the light will always win, and a day will come when the darkness will forever be snuffed out. And that's when Jesus comes. And we need that kind of hope. And then Paul closes his words with this rousing call to action. And as you know, he loves to use that word, therefore because he's summing up, summing up, everything that he said, maybe from chapter 1 of Ephesians all the way up to this point. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love. And I pay attention to those words. I don't think Paul is messing around when he says, I love you. Whom I love and I long for. Why is he longing for them? Because he's in prison. Did you know that when he wrote all these glorious words? Paul was in a Roman prison. I long for you. I long to see you. You're my joy. You're my crown." And he says to them, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Paul is saying, don't let any of these things, don't let the persecution that's going on, don't let the discouragement that's going on, don't let all the the confusion that these bad actors are causing Don't let any of those things turn you around or move you. Don't follow them. Stand firm. And you know what it means to stand firm, don't you? It means to be unmoved. Stand firm. And I say today, what what do we in our time need to be firm about? What do we need to stand on, solidly unmoved? We need to stand on God's Word. I know the Word of God from the very beginning of time. That in Genesis 3, right up till now, God's Word has been challenged and ridiculed and disregarded. And Paul comes along and he says, Stand firm on God's Word. Stand firm on Christ, the solid rock. Stand firm on the gospel message of hope for a dying world. Stand firm on the fact that the cross still saves. Stand firm, brothers and sisters, because we're not alone. We're not alone. And I was talking to some people this week who are single and alone, and they struggle with that feeling that I just feel so isolated, and then they remind themselves, but really, I'm not alone. And I know it's hard. Sometimes I even felt it this week. Like I want to just, uh I just want to give up. I want to walk away. You want to sequester yourself from church and people. And for some of us, you don't want to be with any family. But Paul is saying to you this morning: stand firm in the Lord. And I love what he says that God. Earlier, he says it, has started a good work in you, and he will not abandon that work. Jesus, when he starts anything, he'll bring it to completion, and Paul says he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to keep working at it right up until when he comes. So Paul says, stand firm. There are some things that you and I must do. Jesus does his part. God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure, and our part is to stand Stand firm, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And first prayer says, amen. first prayer says, amen. amen and amen.